My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. For weeks now, I've been telling you we're in bizarre world where good news is bad news. Because every time we see something good, it gives the Fed another excuse to slam the brakes on the economy. What we really want to see is mixed data. Yeah, mixed data that gives the Fed a reason to put its rate hikes plans on hold. That's exactly what we got today. A volatile session where the Dow ended up backsliding 92 points, giving up some of yesterday's big gains. S&P dropping 0.03%, NASDAQ climbing 0.04%. Really, that's not bad profit taking when you think about it. Remember what's at stake here. We are now in the midst of earnings season, where we can piece together a mosaic of what's really going on in the economy. If the economy is fabulous and the Fed's current course, one rate hike in December followed by three more next year, is correct. When business is red hot... It makes sense to tighten. Otherwise, inflation starts getting out of control. On the other hand, if there are real pockets of weakness in the economy, the Fed doesn't need to tighten four more times. That's crazy. Maybe business has already begun to cool. Maybe they're well on their way to taming inflation. The point here is that we don't know. We don't know enough. It's possible the Fed is right. It's possible the Fed is wrong. The only way to know for sure is to wait and look at the data. And at least so far, the data is painting a decidedly mixed picture. On the one hand, there's real signs of strength. You know I like to look at the rails. Last night, CSX, all aboard, the giant railroad, reported a blowout quarter. Company keeps track of 10 cargo lines, and only one of them, fertilizer, was negative, down 2% versus last year. The rest were up. CSX saw the sales increase by 14% year over year. Listen to this breakdown. Chemicals plus nine, driven by broad-based growth. Agriculture and food products plus 13, thanks to domestic consumption and strong exports. Automotive, great, up 12%. Stars there, North American trucks and SUVs. Minerals up 14%. Why? Strong demand from construction and paving projects. Forest products jumped 23%, thanks to new building and e-commerce. Metals and mining, plus 15%. Again, that's construction. Intermodal, the big containers that go from ships to trucks to railroads, gained 12% because the supply of trucks is so tight. Last but not least, even coal, lowly coal, soared 14%, courtesy of strong exports. Holy cow, that's a lot of strength. But quizzically... Quizzically, and perhaps dispositive, the stock went down today. Is that a sign that investors think that the peak is in because we're at the end of the business cycle and the Fed is tightening too hard? I mean, come on, shouldn't CSX been up huge? I think so. We did get some incredible numbers from United Continental last night, and it's easy to see why Jerome Powell, our Fed chief, wants to tighten. Particularly if he's flying on one of their always packed planes, and the stock were higher. It finished up almost five bucks. But you know what? When you assemble the rest of the economic pastiche, you find some areas that are downright hideous. For instance, housing starts we got today. They fell 5.3%. Oh, the apologists were out saying it's the storms. Will you give me a break? That's a shocking and terrible number. Pervasive housing weakness is why Credit Suisse today downgraded KB Homes. Sell, sell, sell. To a sell. Sell, sell, sell. Unbelievable. Outright sell. They got a lot of exposure to California. 
Makes sense. As J.P. Morgan told us on that conference call the other day with mortgage rates at 5%, housing could be down by 10% next year. And Credit Suisse didn't stop there. Oh, no way, no how. They also downgraded Home Depot and Lowe's, the two major housing-related retailers, and both stocks got obliterated. As much as I like these two chains, their stocks feel like falling knives to me. I'm no butcher block. EGADS, the company I like to call Home Despot, sold its stock down eight and a half dollars. That's the slowdown calling. The house of pain. The pin action from that downgrade. It crushed all of retail. I don't like that. You never want to see a retail slowdown ahead of the holidays. And I'm saying all of retail, the good and the bad. Remember last week, we got a pair of awful pre-announcements, one from Trinzio, a maker of latex and plastic, a lot of auto exposure, and PPG, which sells paint for high-end cars. So is any good news related to autos already rear-view mirror? I think so. How about steel? Last week, we spoke to Barry Sternlich, the CEO of Starwood Property Trust, and he said that steel prices, courtesy of the tariffs, are now too high to be economic. Can you imagine that? Too high to construct things? That's the president's tariffs talking. The Fed has no recourse over those. Then there's loan demand. We've seen regional loan demand decelerate, sinking to as low as 1% to 2% in many regions where it was double that not that long ago. Our economy runs on credit. Mediocre loan demand is not a good sign. We'll find out more later in the show when we interview the CEO of regional powerhouse First Horizon. But they, too, had some slowdowns. No wonder Vulcan Materials, the huge supplier of aggregates, saw its stock hit a 52-week low today. Shouldn't that be a 52-week high if things are so good? And that was after Bank of America downgraded it again. Sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, sell. The reason, they're worried about weak new project numbers. You, You don't build roads when there's no demand for them. Basic building block materials for the economy, like plastics, liner board, they tend to be good indicators of what's to come. And they continue to be softer. Don't look at the stock of international paper. It'll blind your eyes. And then there's the trade war with China. The tariffs are just now reaching Main Street. And while our retailers will pass on some of their higher costs to the consumer, the rest of it they may have to eat. Our merchants have no choice. Again, no matter how much the Fed tightens, they can't roll back those tariffs. Now, there were some major one-offs, but they don't belong in this mosaic that I'm tracing out. Netflix reported good quarter, stock roared, but that tells us nothing about the economy. IBM took a step back in its transition to a more growth-oriented enterprise, with its strategic imperative pivot set back by some surprising slowdowns. Stock gave back 11 points, 52-week low of 134. But I think that may be actually lost business rather than a decline in overall demand. More important, you need to put yourself in the shoes of the Fed. They're determined to raise interest rates no matter what. Powell's even stated that he's willing to overshoot in order to stamp out inflation. Under his predecessor, Janet Yellen, the Fed never would have taken that stance. Instead, it would make a move, then wait, and see if that move impacted the economy too negatively. Yellen called this method data dependence. I called it common sense. Now, though, the Fed seems to want to ignore anything negative. The negative is about housing, about autos, about line of about plaza, about construction. Instead, they just want to lay down on the tracks of CSX. I'm calling them out as lazy and irresponsible. But worse than that, it's a real problem. Remember, this is supposed to be a market where good news is bad news, and bad news means the Fed can take a more measured approach. The thing is, that only works if the Fed's actually paying attention to the data. So we have to hope that our central bankers will be more flexible than they've implied they will be. So let me give you the bottom line here. I'm not saying the Fed's going crazy. I'm not saying they need to stop tightening because it's bad for the stock market. I don't care about that. I'm simply begging Jerome Powell and the rest of the open market committee to take things one rate hike at a time. After the next hike in December, they need to actually look at the data, as I am doing. 
because from what I've seen so far this earnings season, it might make sense to put next year's three plan rate hikes on hold until we know if the nascent strength is dissipating before our very eyes, at least if we keep them open. Let's go to Nick in Illinois, please. Nick! Jim, this is Nick from Chatham, Illinois. There you go. Shout out to Coach Mays. He and I watch your show every day. Thanks for having me on. Quite welcome. I wanted to talk about Activision Blizzard, ticker ATVI. They're the company responsible for the new Call of Duty that is smashing digital sales records. It is. It's crushing um, it. Which which is a higher profit margin, of course, for them. They're the number one game on Twitch since they've been out. Streamers, including Ninja, have been promoting it. The bad, though, PE of 120 and the Ford PE of 25 times. I just want to know, have we missed this trade? Uh, I, I would say yes, and you should focus on Take-Two Interactive ahead of Red Dead Redemption 2. But this group has gotten a little bit too hot. Let them come in. Take-Two is a bullpen name for ActionLearnsPlus.com. That's the one I like. I'm going to John in my home state of New Jersey. John. Yes, Jim. I'm calling in reference to OPK Health, which was halted last month. I'd like your opinion and what you think of the future of the company. Yeah, I, I after that halt. Uh, I gave up on it. Uh, Phil Frost hasn't come on the show. Uh, I don't like what I saw there. Uh, and if he had come on, I would have felt better about it. But he didn't, so I don't. Let's go to Ideen in Washington, D.C. Ideen. Hi. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? I am doing well. How about you? Great, great. So we wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Vicker. The ticker is V-I-C-R. Uh, one of my friends alerted us about this company, and after doing a bit of research, uh, it's starting to look like they're in a pretty good position as a supplier for some of these big-name tech companies uh, at the forefront of AI development. Oh, yeah. So, I remember these guys. Yeah. Wait. So we just wanted to see if you agree with that analysis and what your thoughts were. Well, you know, I mean, the problem is, I mean, it just went up four bucks. I mean, uh, you know, they were just reported uh, – Wow. No, it's it's moved up too much. We're going to have to hold off on that. I, I think it, I think that one has come and then it's gone because the results were really good. So I'm going to say uh, should have done it yesterday. How about that? All right. The data's mixed. And that is positive. But there are negatives out there. Member of the Fed, I say press pause. Oh, man, money tonight. Netflix is crushing it after earnings and has become the content king. So should you consider streaming the stock? Then after last week's market shakeup, power rankings are more important than ever. Tonight, I'm tackling the industrial sector. And is it time to add a new member to the Cloud Prince cohort? I'll tell you if Viva Systems could take the throne when I sit down with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Don't blame Netflix if Fang doesn't bounce back. The streaming video Kingpin reported some spectacular numbers last night, with new signups coming in much, much better than expected. Netflix continues to take the whole world by storm. They added 1.09 million domestic subscribers. Wall Street was only looking for 674,000. Internationally, get this, they picked up a staggering 5.87 million subscribers versus the 4.46 million the analysts were anticipating. 
Netflix now has 130 million paid customers around the globe. Management predicts another 9 million is going to join the fourth quarter. Those are incredible numbers. More important, I think their service is so good that they can raise prices rather easily if they want to. Historically, the bears have harped on the company's relatively meager uh, earnings stream. But with some price hikes, Netflix could make itself much more profitable overnight. And you could say it's never made a profit, but I could say, well, look, let's take a look at what they're producing here. That's what matters. You should be focused on the benefits of the scale, people. As Netflix picks up more and more subscribers, that gives them more and more clout with content producers, which in turn makes it harder for anyone else to compete with them. The more customers, the deeper and wider the moat. You know what Netflix reminds me of here? Amazon. It's the Amazon of worldwide entertainment. The difference, Amazon actually has some competition coming on courtesy of Walmart, which can afford to lose money to build up its online business. Why? Well, the Walton family wants to compete worldwide, so they're effectively giving CEO Doug McMillan a blank check to take on Amazon wherever he sees it. Netflix, however, has nothing like that, no meaningful competition. It's pulled that far ahead of the pack. Which brings me to the rest of FANG, the stretched A being the double version, including Apple. You know I think Amazon's doing incredibly well. It's the largest position in my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. Amazon's three businesses, retail, web services, and advertising, are doing very well. And I bet their earnings will be just fine, even though they're now paying workers $15 an hour. How about Apple? I'm worried that the Chinese Communist Party will cut off its nose to spite its face and interrupt sales to that huge market, even as so many iPhones are made in China. If they do, the stock indeed will get hammered. If they don't, I think the service revenue stream will be robust enough and the stock will power higher. Alphabet stock, I mean, it's getting ridiculous. It's 23 times next year's earnings. That's a complete aberration. I don't know if Seoul believes that there's any problem with the numbers beyond the lost revenue from last night's YouTube outage. I hear that Uber wants to spin off its self-driving car business. All I can tell you is that with Waymo, Alphabet's autonomous driving division, well, let's just say that's crushing everybody. In short, the stock is extremely undervalued. You know, I listened to the great Leon Cooperman, one of my old mentors at Goldman Sachs, on halftime report today. His largest position is Alphabet. I'll take that endorsement any day. Finally, there's Facebook. Even as the company keeps being buffeted by scandals, the stock has managed to hang in there in the 50s. Have you noticed that? The 150s, of course. The more I dig, the more I get the sense that the advertisers have not abandoned Facebook. Instagram Stories is on fire, even as its expenses are growing too rapidly and the core business is growing too slowly. And yes, the margins aren't as great on Insta as they are on regular Facebook. Don't get me wrong. I am very disappointed with the management there. I wanted them to bring an outsider to examine the company's rules and practices. They wouldn't do it. Big mistake. With the latest revelations about Facebook allegedly misleading advertisers about its video numbers, they really need to do something to clean house. That said, with the stock trading at 19 times next year's earnings, I think potential now, actually, the reward outweighs the risk. When Netflix, which had been the worst performing member of FANG of late, managed to turn on a dime, up 5%. That shows you just how resilient this group is. It's resilient for a reason, because the companies behind the acronym never stop innovating. Once again, reports of Fang's death proved to be premature. And amazingly, I think Alphabet and Amazon have both come down enough that they can be purchased bye, bye, bye. at these very levels. Let's go to Emily in New Jersey. Emily. Hi, Jim. Um, I'm new to investing, and my dad recommended a stock, uh, Shopify. And I was just wondering if it was a good stock well, I'll tell you, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't start with Shopify. It's a wild trader. It is a terrific e-commerce platform, and I know that. But, I mean, I would go with Amazon before I would buy with Shopify. Amazon's got Amazon Web Services. It's got retail. Uh, and it also has advertising. So it's got three revenue streams, all of which are very good. Fang's not dead. It's surely alive. 
if Netflix can turn, then why can't the haters see that this is one resilient group of stocks? Much more mid money uh, ahead. The market may have soured on the industrial sector as a whole, but as a whole. But this week, I got to tell you something. I'm seeing some winners in the space. I'm going to reveal in tonight's power rankings. Then Viva Systems is up astounding 70% so far this year. Can it continue to deliver healthy gains on its way to a billion dollars in sales? I've got the exclusive with the CEO. And earnings season kicked off in earnest last Friday with the big banks. But what are the regional players saying? Maybe they're more important as a gauge of the economy. I'm talking with the CEO of First Horizon. Stick with Kramer. The earnings are relentless and the schedule is grueling. But Kramer has burned the midnight oil and he's ready to run the gauntlet to find you a raging bull market. Powerful executives, scores of tough questions. All week, Kramer sits down with some of the market's most influential C-suite players. Join Mad Money on air and online for must-see interviews you can't afford to miss. In the wake of last week's brutal sell-off and yesterday's terrific rebound, bye, bye, bye. we need to reassess what's working here. That's why every night I've been rolling out my power rankings for each sector. Trying to help you pick the best stocks, same with the NFL power rankings, tell you how each team compares to the other right at this very moment. Now, we've been through a host of different sectors already, but tonight we're going to address what may be the most fraught cohort in this entire market. We're going to address the industrials. If there's one group that's been called into question of late, it's this one. The industrials came into 2018 with a full head of steam. All aboard! As the cohort contains many cyclical companies that benefit from a rapidly expanding global economy. But then investors started worrying about the trade war and the industrials. They got slammed! Since then, though, the group has made a terrific comeback. Then the Federal Reserve told us that they might need to overshoot with the rate hikes. If there's one thing I know from running a hedge fund, it's that the industrials become very tough to own when interest rates are rising. The Fed thinks the economy got too hot and they want to cool it down. But the industrials do really well in a hot economy. They do much worse in a colder economy. And sure enough, the group is already showing uh, signs of weakness. Remember last week we heard from PPG, the big maker of paints and coatings, which pre-announced a massive shortfall because it has a lot of exposure to the auto industry, an industry that's clearly peaked. The trade war with China also makes life difficult for many of these stocks, but really the hedge fund playbook says that you want to be wary of the industrials at this point in the business cycle. Remember, we keep talking about how it's late in the cycle, so we need to be extra selective when we're putting together our power rankings here. I'm not saying you should avoid this group like the play. There are still many bull markets within the industrials that are working just fine, like aerospace. That's why the sector's performance is all over the place. Hey, you got transports like CSX up 28.5% for the year. Boeing, not far, 24%. Model manufacturers like General Electric are down 30%. The house of pain. So which industrials come out ahead in the Kramer power rankings for the industrials? In first place, a little contrary, Union Pacific, the West Coast Railroad with a stock that's up nearly 12% year-to-date. When I last spoke to you about the rail a month ago, the economy looked good and the group was on fire. Since then, the whole group has been body-slammed, including the best-of-breed Union Pacific. But even if we get the Fed-mandated slowdown that many people are worried about, I think the stock might be worth owning. 
Remember, part of the reason the Fed's so eager to tighten is that transportation costs are out of control. Thanks to new safety regulations that prevent truckers from spending too many hours on the road, the price of freight in this country has been surging higher. Every time you hear about rising transportation costs, that's good news for the rails. So it's no wonder that CSX just reported a blowout quarter yesterday with some encouraging numbers that I talked about at the top of the show. And a lot of that did include switch from truck to rail. However, CSX has already run pretty dramatically for the year, and it even sold off in the news, dropping a buck 49, although some of that could actually be people who are worried about a slowdown. I think Union Pacific's a better buy. Stock's selling for only 17 times next year's earnings estimates, thanks to last week's meltdown. Company reports next Thursday. I got a good feeling about this one after what we heard from CSX. These guys just bought back $6.7 billion worth of stock in the first half of the year. Oh, come on. Isn't that a bullish sign? Second, let's talk about Boeing. All right. You know I've loved this one for ages, the gigantic aerospace company. Even after last week's sell-off, an amazing with the trade war, Boeing's up. So the stock's up 24% for the year, and with good reason. The stock's been a juggernaut because the aerospace cycle transcends the gyrations of the broader economy. This story is all about the long-term rise of the global middle class. As people in developing countries start to become wealthier, they start spending money on all kinds of new luxuries, including air travel. And they're really only two makers of large commercial aircraft. There's just Boeing and Airbus. And that's why the demand for these planes vastly outstrips the supply. Two makers. Boeing's given us a series of fantastic quarters. I think we'll get another one soon. But most importantly, the company has nearly 5,000. 900 planes in its backlog. You heard me. 5,900. That's years and years worth of production. Now, ever since the trade war with China started heating up, people have been just falling over each other with consternation that Boeing could get hit as the company gets a quarter of its business from the PRC. But let's think about this. Let's think logically. If the Chinese decide to cancel their orders, they'll have to go to the back of the line to buy planes from Airbus. And like I already told you, the wait list for new aircraft is many years long. Talk about cutting off your nose to spite your face. In short, aerospace is so hot that I think Boeing's worth buying into weakness. And the stock's currently down 28 points from its recent highs. When I say weakness, I mean actual down like 10, 12 points, okay? Because the stock trades wildly. All right, third is Textron. This is another aerospace and defense play, one I like so much. We've been buying it from my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, where tomorrow I'll be addressing the weakness in Textron and some other beaten uh, up stocks on my monthly conference call. Textron has four main divisions. company makes business jets. You know them as Cessna. They make vehicles like golf carts and many of the odd trucks you see at the airports. They make Bell helicopters. Good business now. And finally, they have a catch-all defense business that includes everything from drones to simulation and training products. Textron's aviation business is on fire, and the company looks to be a major beneficiary of the Army's new spending priorities. Then on Monday, they announced a deal to sell up to 325 Cessas to Berkshire Hathaway's NetJet subsidiary. This is a high-quality company that's much more resilient than your typical industrial. Yet Textron's stock is down more than 11% from its highs. Now look, the company reports tomorrow morning. Textron stock got clobbered on a very good quarter last time, although the stock quickly bounced right back and then right, right through where it was. You know, it could do the same thing again, but that'll allow you to get in a better price than we got right now. Number four is kind of a cheat. United Continental. Are the airlines really industrials? Well, as far as the S&P 500 is concerned, they are. While many of these names have been clobbered this year, UAL has surged higher. I don't know if you saw Phil LeBeau's excellent interview today, but man, these guys are doing well. Why? Because the company has worked relentlessly to understand and connect with its customers. They've made some major investments, and as we learned from United, uh, when United reported last night in a stellar quarter, those investments are paying off. The company just delivered a monster beat and raised the quarter forecast. It's the third earnings boost, by the way, in a row, which is why the stock surged nearly five 
$5 or 6% today, helped, of course, by today's plunge in oil, make it the number one performer in this sector. And can I just say that when a stock's up that much on a down day like this, that's a sign of incredible strength. Now, the big worry for the airlines is always capacity. Whenever the industry starts doing well, somebody buys a bunch of new planes. And the airlines, what do they do? They start competing on price, wrecking their profit margins. But as we learned the last time we spoke with you guys, CEO Oscar Munoz, uh, the company won't be playing this game around this time. They're not going to do it. Even after today's run, I think the stock has more upside. The darn thing's so incredibly cheap. Sells for merely seven times 2020 earnings forecast. I don't know if you heard Lee Cooperman today, one of my old mentors on Scott Wapner's show, but he said big, one of his biggest positions. Finally, I'm giving the fifth spot to a special situation, Harris Corp. It's a defense communications and electronics specialist. Now, just two days ago, Harris told us they're combining with L3 Technologies in a merger of equals. And I think that makes this a very attractive defense play. Defense spending is the one thing no one in Washington ever wants to cut. President reiterated that stance just this afternoon. And the combined company will be a major supplier of components for all sorts of essential projects, like the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. I think it makes a lot of sense for these two companies to join forces, which is why I'm a fan of Harris, even though the stock's exploded higher in the news. Bottom line, if you want exposure to the industrial sector, I recommend sticking with companies like Union Pacific, Boeing, Textron, United Airlines, and Harris Corporation that can keep climbing even if we get a Fed-mandated slowdown. Let's go to Rick in Connecticut. Rick! Hey, Jim, how you doing? I am doing well, Rick. How about you? Pretty good. I got a question about electric boat in Groton, Connecticut. My wife and I want to invest for retirement. And we live near the electric boat division, and they're building up manufacturing facilities and hiring hundreds of people. And what do you think of General Dynamics for a stock? I think it's okay. It's not my favorite in the group. Uh, I like Raytheon best because they rely on orders that are not just from the United States. But I'm never going to quibble with anyone who buys General Dynamics. It's been a terrific stock over the long term. And uh, you've obviously got that uh, interest in it. And I'm going to endorse it as something that you can buy. And thank you for the kind words. Tim in Maryland. Tim. Big Booyah from Maryland. Gotcha. I'm a young investor. All right. I've learned so much from your show. Thank you for demystifying the market. I'm calling about Heiko, symbol H-E-I. I like the industry. They're into replacement parts uh, for planes and whatnot. I consider that positive with the aging civilian and military aircraft fleets. They had a nice earnings report at the end of August, gapped up quite a bit, and they've been selling off ever since. I want to know, is this still a buy here? I like the company very much. I think you raise a really good point. You know, Boeing's got a good service business, too, by the way, just so we know. But, yeah, this is a company I've always felt was going to get acquired by somebody. It's a great niche business, and they do a terrific job. It is up a lot. It's up more than 40% for the year, but I do like it. And uh, let me just say thank you for those kind comments. My goal is to demystify, and I'm succeeding when I hear really nice things like I just heard from you. Thank you. Let's go to Greg in my home state of New Jersey. Greg. Mr. Kramer, how's it going? Not bad. How about you? I'm doing good. Uh, my question tonight is about CTAS, CentOS. I did buy before their most recent earnings report last month, uh, which they did have a beat on the top and the bottom line, but stock has really gotten hammered. Well, yeah, you know what, Greg? Here's what's happening. CentOS is exactly what I've been talking about at the top of the show night after night. Cintas is saying that how good it's been, it can't be that good again. Cintas is a forward-looking company to make uniforms for a small, medium-sized business. Maybe do some larger ones. But the main thing you got to know is Cintas is reflecting, like Granger, a slowdown. 
and it's the slowdown that seems to be eluding the Fed. I like the company long-term, but understand and respect that right now people feel it's too late in the cycle to own Cintas. I wish the Fed understood that. All right, this market's volatility is an opportunity to reassess what's working and to upgrade your portfolio. And when it comes to industrials, take a look at these plays. Now, much more mad money at. Is it a prince without a crown? I'm eyeing Viva Systems to see if the company's worthy of a royal title. Then, with interest rates rising, much of the market has been focused on the big banks. But what about the regional players? I'm sitting down with First Horizon CEO after earnings to see how the company's faring. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. What are we supposed to do with the cloud-based software stocks here? I mean, this was one of the hardest hit groups in the last week's hideous sell-up. Because in a panic, people ring the register. And they really sell off their winners, even as the actual cloud companies are still doing very well. So could they be worth picking at here? Consider the case of Viva Systems. It's the maker of cloud-based software for the pharma, biotech, and life sciences industries. Viva helps pharmaceutical reps become more effective. It captures clinical trial data, and they make it easier for their clients to comply with government regulations, among many other things. Earlier this month, Viva held its annual investor day, and the company told a very compelling story. But that didn't matter once the cloud plays started selling off, which is why the stock is down nearly 13% from its highs, but it's up big for the year. Is it a buy? Let's take a closer look with Peter Gaster. He's the founder and CEO of Viva Systems. Get a better sense of how the company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Gaster, welcome back to Man Money. Oh, thanks, Jim. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me back. Oh, sure. Well, Peter, first of all, congratulations. Over the past year, uh, you topped the Fortune uh, Future 50 list of U.S. companies poised for breakout growth. Uh, one of the fastest growth stories out there, sustained more than 20% growth. Can you be a billion dollar in sales company in a couple of years? Well, you yeah, know, we can, Jim. Actually, we laid out a goal to be a billion-dollar in revenue company. In 2015, we laid out that goal, and we said, hey, we'll get there during 2020 sometime. And in our recent analyst day, we let people know we're actually a year ahead of schedule. So uh, I'm really proud of that Viva team. They executed so well, you know, on this long-term plan, and they're ahead of, a year ahead of schedule. Well, I, I mean, I think it's easy to see why, because you've expanded into a lot of different parts of a company. You've got a development cl- uh, cloud. You've got the commercial cloud. This reminds me very much of what Salesforce has done and what Adobe's done. You're able to replicate that same kind of model within life sciences. Yeah, that's a hallmark of Eva. You know, if you step back to when we went public, it was about five years ago. And if you look at the progress in those five years, we've almost tripled the number of products we have. Revenue's up four times, and profits are up six times. And, and you're right, Jim, that's what makes a great company. People who can reinvent themselves, they can, you know, a team that can create new products, keep customers happy, and, and use success to grow the business. Viva's done that. Certainly Adobe, Salesforce, they've done that as well. Well, one of the amazing things about your analyst day was, uh, this caught me uh, by surprise, I always think of the life sciences industry as perhaps the most forward industry there is. You write, we're seeing digital finally becoming reality in life sciences. So they've really been people doing things on paper, huh? Oh, they have. You know, they have. Life science is a serious business. It's a big business, $1.6 trillion business, and doing some amazing things to improve and extend human life. And we're so proud to be part of that. And, but 
but with that comes when you're dealing with human life, there are certain regulations and processes and procedures mainly to do with safety for the patient. You have to follow those things and some of those uh, procedures unfortunately have been on paper until Viva got in there with the right cloud software and we're just helping people be more efficient and the people inside those life sciences companies, I think they're enjoying their jobs slightly better because they get to use this modern software technology to help them do what they love to do, which is, you know, making medicines for patients. Right. They're such a committed group. I didn't want, I hate to see them bogged down with stuff that is very 1950s, 60s. You've got a moment in the call where you're talking about how some of the, the things that you have will work for cosmetic companies, chemical companies, consumer product companies. That to me says that you've got a very bigger than $9 billion total addressable market in your face. So why don't you tell me about how well, you can transfer? I am sure these other companies, look, if you're testing perfume on, on uh, rabbits, I don't like to admit that they have to, but some people do that. You, need, you really need to be able to have Viva. You can't do it any better than the life sciences people. You've got to have the technology. That's right. I mean, you know, this Viva team can accomplish so much. We started out on the commercial side of life sciences, and then we moved into the R&D, right, the clinical trial area. And that was our second big act with our Viva Vault. That's been huge for Viva. Now we're taking it outside of life sciences with a product we call Quality One, which is, you're exactly right, Jim. You have to be careful when you're manufacturing and distributing a chemical, a cos uh, cosmetics, consumer packaged goods, a laundry detergent. You know, you have to be very careful about that type of stuff. And they have been burdened with the client server processes and, you know, paper processes. And we want to come in and modernize that, help people do better work in those industries. So that's a big frontier for Viva. You mean they're not, they haven't migrated to AWS like you guys have? Well, you know, I think they're still on paper, which is, really? a, you've got a few steps to go. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes in these industries, Jim, you'll be doing a very complex manufacturing process, and, and you want to change that process. A lot of that is done on paper and spreadsheets still. They haven't automated it because there hasn't been a good cloud-based system, so that's what we're helping them with. Well, look, I want to congratulate you. I mean, you've just had tremendous growth since you've seen you last. And I just see that you guys like Workday, start expanding one, then go to the next, the next. And that's why you are, are selling where you are. Fantastic work to uh, Peter Gasters, the founder and CEO of Viva Systems. I like this stock. I've liked it from the beginning. They're doing a great job. Stick with Kramer. It is time. It's over the late room. Here's what Rob Paul's wanting to say. We said the bottom of the show. We're going to have a little time. We're going to and then the light rounds over. Are you ready? Skate down. It's over the late room. Here's what we're going to with Dave in Connecticut. Dave. Jim, a big boomer to you from Connecticut. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. My stock is KeyBank, symbol Key. I am concerned about its price decline and overall softness with regional banks. You know, it's going to put tomorrow. It, it, the, the stock is acting hideously. It's down 7% for the year. You know that I think that Beth Mooney does a terrific job. It does yield 3.63% and 4%. I think it's okay. But right now, it is for sale big time. And that's part of what I'm talking about, which is the slowdown in the economy. Let's go to Walter in California. Walter. Yes, hi, Bill. I mean, hi, Tim. Walter from San Francisco. Long-time listener. Thank you. Caller. I'm calling about Ventus. 
wonder what you think about it. Ventas, I think that the uh, whole glut of nursing homes is now gone. There's not a lot of new ones being built. I think that Deb Kafaro is doing a terrific job. Pays 5.7% yield, and I would buy Okay, let's go to Chantil. Chantil in Arizona. Chantil. Hi, Chantil. Booyah. Excellent. Okay. Hey, what do you think? What do you think about Weight Watchers? No, it's too wild a trader. No edge for me. Don't I have buy, nothing. It goes buy, up, down, buy. up, down, up, down. It's too crazy for me. Let's go to Richard in New York. Richard! Hi, Kramer. Love your show, and I thank you for taking my call. Quite welcome. Back in midsummer, you suggested that Del Taco Restaurants was a stock worth considering, and you said you thought it could rise to near $20 per share by about December. But lately, it seems to be stuck between $10 and $11 it did, per it share. It didn't deliver. It did not deliver. Yeah. I was quite surprised because it's very, very good. I should have just said, listen, we got to stick with Chipotle, which you know I like very much. And Yum, uh, Taco Bell's doing better. I am really surprised at the poor execution of Del Taco. Maybe if they come on, we can hear otherwise. Let's go to John in Ohio. John. Hi, Jim. A big booyah to you. Thanks for taking my question. I'm a first-time caller. First-time caller. I was wondering what you thought about HBI, Haynes Brands. Come on, man. We got I got VF Corp doing just shooting the lights out. Why go down the food chain to Haynes Brands? VF is the play. Let's go to Rich in New York. Rich. Ah, hi, Jim. Greetings and a big booyah from Long Island. Oh, good to have you. I haven't been there a couple weeks. For us. I'm predominantly a value stock investor, approaching 60 years old, planning for retirement, fairly well diversified among solid dividend-paying companies. My strategy is typically the dollar-cost average in and then drip. And one of my newer holdings is KHC, Kraft Heinz. What do you think? Uh, you know, 4.4% yield. I vastly prefer Verizon. If I want to get ah, decent bye. growth with good yield, I'm going Verizon. It's got better growth than Kraft Heinz. I have to disagree with that pick. Let's go to Jim in New York. Jim. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. From Rochester, New York. Okay. Thank you, Jim, for all you do for our individual investor. That's currently what I'm, I'm about. Up around, currently, I'm up around 43%, and I want your opinion on whether I should buy more, sell, or hold. And the stock I'm interested in is Crane. Oh, C-R. man, that is just a great American manufacturer. I'd like it to sell off a little more like the other ones, but that is a terrific company. No flies on it. I like Crane. Bye, bye, bye. And let's go to Suleiman in New York. Suleiman. Big, 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 big booyah, Jim Grimmer. Superb booyah. What's happening? Uh, my question is RBS, uh, uh, Royal Bank of Scotland. A World Bank RBS? No, they're terrible. I mean, what can I say? I mean, that's just not a, that's, I can't get you that. No, no, we're not touching that one. They just, it, it, it's a fail to deliver, fail to deliver, fail to deliver situation. I need to go to John in California. John. Booyah, Jim. Haven't talked to you in a while. We love you out here. You know that. Hey, John from, uh, from Sacramento. Good to have you on the show again. What's up? Uh, you know, my old buddy. Happy Halloween. Same. All right, Jim, you know I've had Gilead for quite a while. They played the hepatitis C thing. Nobody wants to talk about the lymphoma thing, and I've been told to hang on to it. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right, John. I would hold on to it. Plus, you got the 3% yield. I think the stock is bottoming right here, and I like it very much. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. So far this earnings season, we've heard some encouraging things from the big money center banks, but there's one major fly in the ointment, 
consumer lending has been a little tepid. And this becomes all the more obvious when you look at the smaller regional banks that are far more levered to the business of actually making loans. We saw this on PNC on Friday. Wow. Really hammered. And we saw it again yesterday when First Horizon National, a Tennessee-based regional bank with more than 350 locations across the southeast, reported what many thought was a mixed quarter. While the company delivered a modest earnings beat, its revenues came in a tad late, and the all-important net interest margin, what they make off the difference between the interest they pay on your deposits and the interest they collect on your loans, was also weaker than expected. Now, if consumer lending is slowing down, either because there's something wrong with the economy or because non-bank lenders are taking more and more market share, this stock, well, it's going to be for sale. Last year, First Horizon doubled down on this business when it acquired Capital Bank for $2.2 billion. What happened? Stock got slammed yesterday. It lost 2.5% as the rest of the market roared higher. And while it bounced today, it's barely made back those losses. We've got to figure out what's going on here because this is one of my favorite banks. So let's check in with Brian Jordan. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of First Horizon National. Learn more about the quarter and the company's prospects. Mr. Jordan, welcome back to May of Money. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me back. All right, Brian, when I saw your quarter, I said to myself, now, why is the Fed so convinced that it needs to uh, do a December hike and three more hikes in 2019? And if they talk to Brian Jordan about what that might might mean to the really terrific growth of your region. Yeah, the economy is growing well. I think it's it's a sign that the economy continues to be healthy. I think you see a a tremendous amount of confidence in both consumers and business, small business in particular. I think the economy continues to grow at a pretty healthy rate. And whether the Fed raises or not, I think we're getting closer to the end of that cycle. But I I believe, like you, the market indicates it's fully priced in. I think it's priced in, and I think we're likely to get another move. But I, I don't think it's had a big impact on customer confidence, customer sentiment, or really business activity at this point in a negative sense. Okay, uh, how come you weren't able to make more money on your net uh, interest margin? Because you guys have been one of the most consistent banks that I follow. Right, right. Our net interest income continued to, to be strong. We had a couple of anomalies that really related to risk positioning. We sold a couple of portfolios or assets that we acquired in the merger and, and really reduced the risk and, and the yield in the loan portfolio. Overall, though, we saw continued rise in interest rates. We're asset sensitive. We benefit from when the Fed raises rates. We did see rates go up in late June, and we saw that flow through the margin. It was a little bit less than it had been in previous quarters because LIBOR didn't move as rapidly. We also saw deposits go up. They went up at a slightly slower rate. So in in the underlying net interest margin, we did continue to get improvement, and we see uh, that outlook for the remainder of this year and into 2000 next year that will continue to benefit from rising rates. But there were a couple times in the call where you talked about uh, pricing to the point where we've decided that we can't be competitive at certain levels. And you uh, talk about non-bank competition. This has been a continual theme this quarter, right? Who is this non-bank competition and why are they making such little margin? Because that's going to come back and haunt them. Yes, it's a, it is a consistent theme. I've heard that or read that in other financial institutions and bankers in their comments. It is an environment where interest rates on an absolute level are still very, very low, and there's still a lot of individuals and investors, institutions, and otherwise looking for yield. And it's putting uh, pressure on the, the marketplace. And I did comment we do see more pressure on pricing. 
and to some extent on structure, people putting uh, covenant-like transactions in place. All that said, though, I think it's still a healthy lending market, and, and my sense is, is particularly late in the third quarter that loan demand started to actually pick up a little bit, and so having a good supply, having more demand will be good, and that hopefully will stabilize some of the margin, excuse me, the, the yield pressure that we saw in the third quarter. All right, one last question. Uh, mortgage rates now 5%. You have had in your area, particularly Nashville, maybe among the hottest uh, housing markets because of taxes, but also because it had not been expensive. Will 5% cool Nashville? I think it's had some impact. In, in our, we have a very big mortgage warehouse lending business, and we also have a mortgage origination business. Higher rates have had an impact. It hasn't had as much impact on the purchase money mortgages as it has on the refinance activity. Refinances are below historical averages or, or norms. So that piece has slowed significantly. Uh, purchase activity continues to, to still be okay, but it does seem to be getting impacted from rate increases. And to the extent that the 10-year continues to move up, I would expect that housing sales housing transactions would continue to come under pressure simply wow. because of the underlying mortgage rates. Understood. Thank you so much for a very inexpensive stock you're giving us right now. Brian Jordan, Chairman, President, CEO of First Horizon. I can't believe how much this stock fell. It really shouldn't have been. It's a good situation. Stick with Kramer. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.